Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Our theme this week is the interconnectedness of art and we are going to be talking about the kind of connection of art to everything and there may be some kind of things you're thinking, well, very, very separate from art, for example, like marine biology, medicine, technology, maybe even currency. But I chat to Lindsay Fulcher, editor of Minerva magazine, about the fact that art has seeped into every facet of our lives, whether or not we are aware of it. But before that, I thought I would talk a little bit about an exhibition that for me was a fantastic example of how science can have artistic resonance. So we know sometimes that art and science can go hand in hand and Leonardo da Vinci is a prime example of how the talents in science and the anatomy and art can create masterpieces which stand the test of time. But a more modern example that I'm talking about is Dr. Gunther von Hagen's Body Worlds exhibition that is currently at number one Piccadilly Circus in London, although that's actually not where I saw it for the first time. But The exhibition uses real human bodies that have been preserved in order to explore the physical and psychological components of being a human in the modern world. And the first time I'd ever heard of this exhibition was actually when I was confronted on a street in Amsterdam um, by a lovely lady who gave me a flyer and explained about the exhibition, um, that it was kind of showed the complete um, composition of the human body. And my partner, who I was with, decided... Despite the fact that both of his parents are medics, hates anything remotely body related and is a bit squeamish. So, and I, on the other hand, am totally fascinated by the human body. And kind of despite not knowing a whole lot about the exhibition, I decided that I was going to kind of pop along and maybe have a look uh, while he grabbed a beer or something like that. And then I'd meet him in an hour or so. So this was the plan. Uh, Three hours. Hours later, I found myself frantically texting him, explaining I was so sorry for leaving him on our romantic weekend away. But unfortunately, the exhibition, or fortunately for me, it was absolutely blowing my mind and I could not leave this exhibition. Um, and I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit more about it. Um, the bodies are kind of displayed like artwork for a start. Um as if they're kind of sculptures um, and works of art in themselves. And I spent the first hour, knowing nothing about the exhibition beforehand, kind of having a debate in my head about whether or not the displays were real people or not. Because even though the lady at the door had sort of said, yeah, no, these these are human bodies, blah, blah, blah. I thought, you know what, they, they absolutely can't be. There's no way they're preserved like that. There's no way they are that, like, there's just no way. This can't be real. And then I started seeing something the hairs on some of the bodies and which made me feel a bit unwell but um and then I kind of realized that they are in fact uh real human bodies that have been preserved um and I was completely intrigued by it as well and kind of just as in an art gallery the sets of bodies or kind of sections of the anatomy that are shown are sort of posed on plinths and in glass display cabinets so you kind of have to distance yourself a little bit and sort of say, well, you know, this could this is an art exhibition, just like just like any other art exhibition. It's just that they are people. Uh, it's a kind of a weird thing to try and get your head around. Um, but these kind of these bodies demonstrated things such as particular muscle groups and reproductive functions. Uh, 
for example, how like one one kind of body can adapt to a lifestyle choice. There was one um, human male body that was playing the saxophone. So you could kind of see the different muscle groups needed to hold and play the instrument. Um, and they were kind of how the muscles would sort of enlarge and contract depending on what the lifestyle was of the person. And there was another female body that was splayed slightly to show her internal digestion. I hope no one's eating at this particular moment in the afternoon. I'm so sorry if you are. Uh, but it sort of showed her inner digestion and, and reproductive organs of, of her lower torso, which I found absolutely uh fascinating it was so odd and also so oddly compelling to see humans kind of showcase like they are works of art um but as I said I sort of had to stop myself getting too overwhelmed and and a a bit squeamish about the whole thing by thinking that these are people these are works of art and you know um, it really helped me to kind of appreciate the beauty um of the human body and the intricacy of the human body as well um there was a there was a really heavy psychological element to it as well, which sort of reminded me of how we kind of view art or, or what we hope that art will do when we visit an art exhibition. For example, many people define art as something that makes you think or something that kind of challenges your worldview or simply something that makes you feel something on an emotional level. And this did exactly that in such a profound way. Um, And the concept that kind of punctuated the whole exhibition was the idea of happiness, um, that thing we all want to achieve, and also how the sort of biology of human beings register it in our modern environment, particularly filled with modern stresses. And the exhibition states first and foremost that happiness is an intentionally transient state that's kind of brought on by the interact. Well, it is brought on by the interaction of electrochemicals in the brain that sort of helps us to distinguish between helpful and unhelpful things, good and bad. Thinking back to, you know, when we were primates and we had to run from tigers, for example, um, or cuddle our loved ones because that releases, you know, good chemicals into our body. But it, it kind of helped ensure our survival. So there are all these kind of biological components to it. But happiness is not meant to be a permanent state of existence, which I found really profound at the time. Because I thought, you know, we all strive to be happy all the time. But um, but actually, it's, it should be more of a kind of pursuit. And then it kind of goes on to explain how experiences um, form nerve patterns, which in turn in turn kind of colour our behaviour and reinforce the structure of our brain. I believe this is kind of referred to as neuroplasticity in the in a technical term. Uh, but it kind of implies that one has some sort of agency over their thoughts and feelings and practice behaviour, which actually felt quite empowering. And in fact, about 40%, according to this exhibition, of our overall happiness um, can be dictated through our personal thoughts and things like that. So I found that hugely interesting. Um, and it kind of this was sort of coupled with displays of the brain as well. So you can kind of understand how the brain is functioning whilst actually looking at a real human brain with all of its kind of nerve functions and things like that. Totally crazy, totally fascinating. Um, one thing I found particularly interesting was the idea about decision making. Um, and there was a display cabinet with a large, um, medium, a small group of chocolates. And they did a study that essentially tried to work out how humans react when we're trying to make decisions. And actually, people like having a small decision to make make but anything more than a few different options when making a decision can actually overwhelm us and it found that kind of humans are less satisfied with their overall decisions if they've got 
more choice. So it's kind of that whole shoulda, woulda, coulda thing. Um, but it kind of, for me, the exhibition was answering all of the questions I had about what makes us human. And just like I get completely engrossed in the textures and colours and compositions of paintings, I was completely absorbed in the contours, shapes and the unbelievable intricacy of the human body. It had all the tropes of an exhibition, sort of the display, the context, the explanations. It was shocking. It was thought-provoking. Um and it was kind of uplifting and fascinating and immersive. Um, and it was, you know, it was a science exhibition about the art of being a human. And uh, it kind of exemplified how art and science can be best friends. It was, in fact, awarded Trip Advisors Top 10 London Attractions to See in 2019. And it is a permanent exhibition. So you can go and see it at One Piccadilly Circus. I highly recommend it. Maybe not if you're squeamish, though. <laughs> Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now. It's time for my interview with return guest Lindsay Fulcher, who we've had on the show before talking about the timeless nature of art. And we're going to convince you that actually art is simply everywhere, whether you can see it or not. Here is Lindsay. So I am back here with she is editor of Minerva magazine. So when we talked about sort of things we could talk about today, you know, you know, last time we spoke, we talked about the fact that art is timeless. And this time we're going to kind of talk about how art is interconnected with everything. And we're going to convince you of this <laughs> from, you know, geography to technology, museums, things like that. Lindsay, this was very much your idea of where you kind of wanted to, to go with this. So let's start about why this concept interested you. Well, I just see it. Art, you know, art can be used for anything. Mm. Politics to show prestige. It can be used to show I'm very wealthy. The Romans in their wonderful villas. Yeah. Uh, it was prestigious to have a beautiful fresco and a mosaic floor and marble fountain, etc., etc. Yeah. Still is, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it can be used to show quite a lot about human beings, but also yeah. it grows almost organically out of, um, say, geography, out of the mm -hmm. landscape, where it, you've got, you want colour on the wall, well, you better get some ochre. Well, what's available locally? Yeah. Um, or yeah. are you going to go all the way to Afghanistan to a lapis lazuli mine to get that beautiful blue? Yeah. Yes, well, yes, you can get that, but it's very expensive and, and so yeah. and so forth. Then um, there's the scientific aspect. There's the um, what happens if you put this pigment here and that one there, mm -hmm. and um, which one is going to poison me? Yeah. Um, you <laughs> yeah. can find that by tri yeah. trial and error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's another <clears throat> aspect. The scientific view, um, technology, you can now use screens and 3D printing and... Mm. And um, David Hockney is now, he was working on iPads. Um, that was exactly. the latest exhibition. Fascinating. Yes. I, I, was, I was actually quite impressed by them. I didn't think I was going to enjoy them, but I did. Well, um, he, he can't yeah. really do anything too wrong. wrong. <laughs> you know, artists, um, I know we had, you know, the rebel as a kind of joke, mm. but they, they have to kick society up the arse, really, mm -hmm. if, they, mm. if they're worth anything, quite often. Yeah, yeah. And they do it, and they represent, you know, say there's a painting of some very poor people, or they show, they reflect back mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. we are. Yeah. And they connect us all together as well. Do you think that art is responsive, or do you think it is very much that, it, you know, it's the whole chicken and the egg thing, I guess, but do you think that art kind of reflects what's going on in, in society and civilization, yes. or does it create 
culture? Ooh. What's the kind of I think your it's take? more I think it's more a reflective thing yeah. for myself. I mean the yeah. zeitgeist uh, you go from staidness to, to acquiescence to sedateness mm. to blast yeah. as Wyndham Lewis said, and he throw, got thrown out of the Royal Academy. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get a backlash against all this modernness. You yeah. get somebody like Alfred Munnings, who's president of the RA, getting up at a dinner and saying, well, of course, it's rubbish that Picasso paints it. A child of three could have done it. You know? <laughs> and then, of course, he had to resign shortly afterwards. Yeah, so yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, it's dynamite, actually. Yeah. Art is dangerous. And if it isn't dangerous, well... Let's just have a nice cup of tea and a ginger biscuit and forget it. I mean, you're not wrong. Like With what we've covered so far, we've talked about the economy, we've talked about politics, we've talked about science, technology. Yeah. Um, we've covered so many different facets of, of civilization, and art is very much woven into the fabric of all of them. Like When we first kind of talked about this topic, my, what immediately sprang to my mind was we need technology to create better painting materials the impressionists you know the the use of kind of um oil paints that you could transfer and you didn't have to mix them they were pre-made and um with artificial pigmentation and things like that and then i thought about well you need someone to design a wind turbine like even that level of kind of somebody has to be creative in that sense yeah. so yeah. um i just think it was such an interesting concept that you kind of brought to the forefront of my mind um but one thing i want to ask you is that if art threads itself through everything which we've said that it does then how do we define what we recognize as art now and throughout history and what do we put on that pedestal as being worthy of our adoration <laughs> well i'm afraid you're a bit late with that i mean <laughs> marcel duchamp took a urinal and yeah. exhibited it and said this is art yeah yeah that's very true and matisse did a picture of a pipe and says you yeah. know it's not a pipe it's not a pipe so yeah 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 people who want to put art in a box are bound to fail mm. it's going to bang on the lid it's mm. going to kick at the walls and it's going to burst out yeah um it is it is life it is energy it is creativity mm. and it it can't be suppressed forever mm. and so say you use it as propaganda and some of don't get me wrong some of the soviet propaganda and the agitprop is fantastic oh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> so powerful it's so clever yeah it's propaganda, mm. you see. Um, the American response as well is also very colourful <laughs> in most senses of the word as well. Yes, like it's, yes. Yeah. Uh, but but th there'll always be dissident, decadent art. Do, mm. do you remember the um, Hitler, of course, banned all these decadent artists? Um, yeah. Um, An artist himself, strangely. <laughs> Those two things seem to be very... Uh, well, yes. At odds. An artist of he was an artist of death, wasn't he? Yes. So maybe um talking of talking of that, I'm thinking of um just going back a little bit to archaeology. Yeah. And you know, Freud wanted to be an archaeologist. And on Freud's desk you see a fantastic collection of antique artifacts, little figures, gods, goddesses, warriors mm. and others, all looking at him as if the whole past from the subconscious of sitting there looking at him. How and interesting. So the archaeological side of art is also an, another way of kind of accessing our subconscious minds, you could mm, say. Yes. And yeah. uh, we, we, we've had a, we had a lovely article on Freud 
Freud as archaeologists digging into the mind. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> and and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the past, Literally. you see, um, and myths have a power as well. Mm. We also, um, in the past, had another another the interconnected of things uh, is is opera. We we yeah, spoke to various. We've spoken to playwrights and um, composers uh, who who've done operas mm. on the minor tour mm. or on. Oedipus, or mm. on um, one did one of Caligula recently, Julian Anderson. Hilarious, I mean, terribly camp. <laughs> his lipstick was all over the place and mascara. Bad, bad sort of fantastic, decadent, decadent subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a slippery, it's a yeah. slippery subject. Art. Yeah. It can be it can be old, new, young, old, beautiful, ugly, destructive, mm. creative. Mm. And we were saying how art is very much uh, a kind of consequence of human nature. Like it's so reflective of our need to understand ourselves, which is going back to what you said about Freud and wanting to be um, an archaeologist. That's really interesting because it, to me, that says that there's so psychology is so heavily tied to art as as we kind of mentioned and and wanting to kind of understand ourselves. But also to me, that suggests that maybe he's trying to place himself within the ranks of kind of of, of powerful of powerful people. Freud has his place. He is a patriarch and he has found, you know, he is a god a god among psychologists mm. and, and yeah. analysts. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. Um but this it gets everywhere. Mm. The, uh, mm. the past is everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you do you think it's helpful or kind of constructive to blur the lines between dis the disciplines of science and technology and art? Do you, do you think that that helps us in some ways, or do you feel like it is confusing for some people? Do you think they need to be separate? Or I think it is confusing for some people. Mm. But do you know what? Let them be confused. <laughs> Confusion is a fantastic state to be in. Yeah, because it's a melting pot. Yes, it's the bit before creativity. <laughs> yeah, if I if I know everything. If I know one, two, three, and I've got them in a line, I've got everything worked out. Yeah. My mind is closed. Finish. Yeah. If it's all over the, um, if I say I have no idea who I am, I have no idea what art is. Mm. I have no idea, you know, what we're doing on the planet. Mm. If it, if there's a purpose or not, my mind may be open to something. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other thing is, for example, what Damien Hirst did a couple of years ago when he, he. Um, suddenly produced this huge, vast, well, there were two or three exhibitions, two exhibitions in Venice, mm. full of these artefacts from under the sea, yeah. which, which he'd allegedly planted there. Uh, but he said, oh, yeah. they were in a shipwreck, the HMS Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, a Medusa's head in rock crystal, in, in malachite, mm. in, in silver, gold-plated silver. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, fantastic yeah. objects yeah. all inspired directly or stolen directly the images mm. from the antique world but, but even that we're crossing lines as well there with with art when it comes to you know we're talking about um we're talking about shipwrecks we're talking about discovery we're talking about underwater we're talking about diving we're talking about um expeditions so much of it is scientific as well like I, I assume for that kind of a project that damien was had to research like what is the growth rate of, of underwater? Like, Well, funnily enough, I was very torn about having an article in Minerva by... I knew it would be controversial. Mm. I mean, we're, I'm already taking Minerva into ways that are controversial. People say, well, where's all the archaeology? Well, I say, well, there's some in there somewhere. <laughs> what I did with the Damien Hirst exhibition was I got 
um, Sean Kingsley, who used to work, who used to edit Minerva, mm. um, uh, was assistant editor here some years ago, long before I came, mm. and he's a marine archaeologist. Mm. So I got him, I've, it says here, is Damien Hurst's trove of antiquities brought up from the sea, seabed just a shipload of crock, or is it <laughs> historically accurate? Um, and historically accurate, if anarchistic, um, tribute to marine archaeology. Yeah. So he he said actually, even where it was brought up from the sea, a ship could well have been wrecked there. Mm. So somebody, maybe not Damien Hurst himself, mm. did the homework mm. behind this mm. bizarre. So is, is it the, the idea is that the where he where he put these art, artifacts was in the site of a shipwreck? Is that is that what it's no. been said? Or there was shipwreck? No, no, no. He made up the shipwreck, but okay. the, the the part of the sea ships would have passed that way, bringing luxury okay. goods. From somewhere. Oh, I see. So it fits into a narrative of like, yeah. okay, I, I understand. So in itself, that's that is very much a kind of um, he's putting himself in part of maritime history, I guess, and like that's so interesting. But presumably, you'd have to have some knowledge on marine biology to be able to have kind of that sort of knowledge of what was going to happen to the ark. So, you know, as you said, like Damien Hersey, you know, this has been a 10 year project in the making, mm. it's probably very expensive. He's employed people from different disciplines to help him with this, which again is just an, another example of the way that art is interdisciplinary and interconnected to everything else. There's so many things going on, even with that one example. So one thing I wanted to ask you is the, w the way that we create and interpret art is very much through the lens of our own unique context and life experience as individuals. So how do you think that, you know, with this topic in mind, how do you think art transcends our individual experience and becomes more of a collective experience? Is it through the fact that it's, you know, there's so many, it's woven into so many different facets of our existence or? Mm. Well, I think it is. I think you, you walk down the street and you see art all around you. I mm. mean, you may not, it might, might be um, street art, or it could be graffiti, or it could be uh, a bollard uh, with an mm. Egyptian or a, a lion's head on it, or something like that. Yeah. But I'm just thinking about, um, if you take somebody and you put them in the British Museum, uh, they, they go towards favourite, uh, usually the Egyptian, of course, because yeah. they, they want to see the mummies. Yeah, um, yeah. See, that is a I'm guilty of that. <laughs> yes, that's a fascination with, with um, human life and death, which Absolutely. you're not allowed. You're not allowed to see dead bodies now. It's the new pornography. Yeah, it's it's absolutely forbidden. Even on the news, of course, it's in bad taste if someone's been shot yeah, to, to yeah. see their body. But um, not to see a dead body is is not to be alive. I completely agree. It gives us a sense of our own um, mortality, which I actually think is really life affirming. Ironically, yeah. um, but also I think our relationship. I mean our relationship with death as a culture in you know in in the uk i think is very unhealthy i think that we are in denial of what is inevitable and we have no coping skills for it when it happens because we refuse to surround ourselves or at least um talk about it and be aware of it and it's really interesting I, i'm recently looking um researching mexico um and where they have the the, the, the day yeah, of the dead, the dead yeah yes. and of course it's a celebration and it's yeah. very much um, they're very in tune with that kind of side of things. And it, again, art is used there, like it's a festival, you know, they use bright colours. It's a kind of a colourful expression of life. Yeah, mm. the beauty of death. I mean, 
this this autumn we're going to have the Tutankhamun exhibition mm. which is going to 10 cities around the world and I mean I saw it I'm so old I saw it the first time <laughs> around in 71 oh um, where did you see it uh, it was at the British Museum oh fantastic okay. and it was the first time I think well I'd never seen queues around the block like mm. that yeah, so, I bet. But I am so excited to see the, the gold mask. I mean, it's a it's become almost a cliche because everyone knows what it looks like. But mm. when you see the real thing, and the curious thing is that when human beings look at gold, something happens to them. Mm. I don't know what it is. That's a mysterious substance used in art, and it's a metal, of course. Yeah. But. Um, someone once gave me a gold bar to hold. I said, oh, can I just hold it to see how heavy it was? <laughs> it was very, very, very heavy. I was going to say, was it surprisingly he, heavy? The security guard who kept a beady eye <laughs> said, you know, you couldn't run off with it. I said, no, you could, I, I couldn't. Really? It was that heavy? Yeah. So dead. I mean, it, it was so dead, but, isn't it? but yeah, yeah. It, 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 it lures God. you, that, yeah. that particular um, yeah. you know, mask. Yeah. And the same, you know, if you make someone in bronze or in stone, it gives you a kind of immortality. Absolutely. I'm just suddenly thinking about how even death, life and death, how art is, is it's at the beginning and it's at the end. It's so interesting because those are the kind of uh, markers of our existence at the beginning, you know, when we're born and we take those baby pictures and we do all those things and then we die and we have a stone or a, some sort of statue or some yeah. sort of memorial, um, an urn. It's really, really interesting how those how those markers come into play in our in our life cycle. So, how does Minerva magazine approach the idea of art being connected to everything? So, anything that's inspired by is in, interconnected in my in my uh, whether it's armor, mm -hmm. whether it's opera, mm -hmm. um, whether it's psychoanalysis. Um, it's mm -hmm. all it all is in the same. Deep sea diving, Swirling. deep sea diving, <laughs> carving, war, yes. archaeology of war, um, and I don't just yeah. mean Daesh blowing up the beautiful um, site of of Palmyra and of course killing the wonderful man who was there who had looked after that site for mm. um, for, for decades um, was executed there. So mm. I mean uh, the art of the archaeology of war. Um, Neil Oliver I interviewed years ago and he and one of his friends had been out to sites in South Africa in the, I think in the Boer War and they mm. were excavating battlefields mm. but 19th century mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and someone recently was out Lawrence of Arabia uh, was involved in battles and he was out in the desert picking up archaeology, a bully beef tin or mm. whatever else and spent cartridges mm. shells and so yeah. on and that becomes art then because it's i mean is it just art because we put it in a museum afterwards or that, is it art that's archaeology because, yeah you, know, you might say what's the difference and i'm not sure yeah. and you can and the same or anything can be become yeah. an art object or an archaeological object yeah 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 i mean in a, in a sense the minute do you think there should be a differentiation between art and archaeology um well, archaeologists want it to be a science. Mm. So, yes, there is a difference. Is that because they feel people might take it more seriously? Or? Yes, probably. Yeah. That was going to be one of my questions, actually. What I wanted to ask you is that, you know, um, sometimes art is seen as, it has a reputation of being a bit whimsical um, and less constructive to society, perhaps. Do you think that connecting it with other industries and sort of acknowledging its practical application 
help society to take it more seriously. Well, both more important. Ruskin and William Morris, for example, you know, art, art and craft comes together mm. and should permeate all of life. <clears throat> My partner's dad is um, a doctor and he has often said he feels he doesn't understand art that well. You know, he's oh very, very different to someone creative. He's a scientist. Um, yes, well, he's, yes, he's, he's very much a, a scientist. Medic. He's a med yeah, 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 and he's a very, very smart man. Um, and uh, I think I've somehow sort of managed to blur the lines a little bit between the fact that you can be a creative medic. You can, you know, you're finding solutions to problems. There's the level of thought going in there and, and you know, being able to tap into someone's psychology and connect with them on that level level I, I think that's what art's doing and, and I think that there is creativity in, in anything. It's the most commonly um, expressed uh, attitude mm. of people who probably don't even like art or just don't see but if you approach mm. it with a rational mind that wants mm. to measure and um, construct and analyze yeah. actually go and be an archaeologist might be better but yeah. <laughs> um, it, there's something more intuitive about it, isn't there, mm -hmm. when something speaks to you. Mm -hmm. So where can people go to find out more about you and your work and Minerva magazine? Well, they should either go to the website, mm -hmm. um, minerva.com, mm -hmm. or they should um, even better take out a subscription, which you mm -hmm. can do on the website. Um, or you can, if you want to go and see a copy, I believe the Ashmolean Museum usually stocks it, and the British Library in mm -hmm. London uh, definitely stocks it. Um, we come out every two months and we have a mixture of archaeology, art and anything else that relates to the ancient world. Yeah, there's Henry Moore against the kind of armour from the Roman period and it's very, yes. very fascinating yes. and well, very eclectic. And yes, quite. Lindsay, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's thank been a you pleasure. Very much. Thank, thank you. Isn't she absolutely fabulous? I loved talking to her. I could have spoken to her for hours and hours. Definitely go to MinervaMagazine.com. Get a subscription to the fabulous magazine. It will make you look very, very fancy and intelligent in front of all your banking friends uh, on the tube. That is, unfortunately, all we've got time for this afternoon. Thank you for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons, for any of the images discussed on this week's show. Or to contact me, please visit the Facebook site at The Art Then and Now Show. And see you next week at Resonance. 104.4 FM at 3.30. Bye-bye.